0: Welcome everybody, I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future, and I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. Do you lay awake at night wondering if you have enough money to pay the bills, let alone retire? In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money in a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost one dime of my clients' money. I will share with you secrets I've learned over two decades that only the few rich know and really have been around for centuries. You know, most Americans are not prepared for their golden years, let alone today. So no matter what your financial status is, you can be prepared to enjoy your life and never run out of money. So when you learn the things that we talk about, I have a lot of strategies that we're going to share with you. I invite some special guests to share what their expertise is. have Catherine Woodfield. After 20 years working in the health care and the death of her husband, she had to file bankrupt- bankruptcy as a result of crushing medical bills. A widow with three small children, she became the consumer advocate and wrote a book on how health care insurance works. Don't buy that health insurance, become an educated health care consumer. Catherine is going to share with us her insights on how to choose the right insurance plan for your personal options at work, on the health insurance exchange, or marketplace in the traditional market. There is one right answer, and she will tell you what it is. Catherine, I'm so honored to have you with me today. Well, Chris, thank you for having me. Well, everybody wants to know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with a new Affordable Care Act. So there's so much confusion about this Affordable Care Act. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, What does a man on the street do? I don't even have a clue. It is so complicated. Maybe you could start to let us
1: know what's going on with that. Sure. Well, a lot of people don't realize that the law is actually called the Consumer Protection and Affordable Care Act. So the first part, the consumer protection, this is a law about consumer rights, and it was designed to curtail some of the excesses in the health insurance industry that were causing people to be unable to get health insurance. So, for example, there's no more medical underwriting anymore. If you run quotes, you will see that all you need is your age and your zip code and how many people you're insuring, and you will get a quote. So the law... For a lot of people don't realize is for you and me on the street it's a consumer protection act the second thing that it is is a standardization act just like with credit cards or with your car what this law said is insurance companies can can design health insurance plans that are better than what we're going to define as the basic minimum but they can't go below the basic minimum. And so, where people had capped lifetime limits or capped amount of prescription or a capped something that caused them to constantly be reaching into their pocket, what the law designed was a set of basic minimum essentials that any policy has to have. Your policy can have more than the minimum essential, but it can't have less. So, it is a consumer protection law as well as a standardization law. And what I teach people is a lot of people have very – they're frustrated with their insurance, but one of the reasons they're frustrated is they have kind of unrealistic expectations about what they think health insurance is supposed to do. So if you think it's there, if you think Fortune 500 companies got wealthy by giving money away and paying all your bills – then you might be one of the people who has sort of an unrealistic expectation about what their insurance is designed to do. What it's really designed, when you buy health insurance, what you are buying is a bunch of attorneys who went out and negotiated better prices for you for all sorts of goods and services that you don't yet need. So if you don't have health insurance and you end up in the hospital and you incur a lot of medical bills, you are 100% responsible for 100% of whatever you are billed. The purpose of medical insurance is to negotiate a lower bill and at a certain point take over paying the bills. It's not actually there. You don't actually need insurance for every sniffle. It's not there to, to mediate the cost of having a sinus infection. But we use it for that, and that's sort of what's caused things to get out of control. But the actual intent of insurance is to protect you against financial disaster as a result of an unexpected or unplanned medical need. A lot of us try to use our health insurance to mediate the cost of planned needs. And while it would be nice to get someone else to pay for all our bills, (laughs) it's sort of an unrealistic expectation that a Fortune 500 company is going to swoop in and pay all your bills. So there just seems to be... There's so much to this,
0: and and what you've really talked about are so far the positive things that I've never really heard about. No underwriting, standardization of the law, right? hmm So far, that this has been the positive part because all I'm hearing on the TV is pretty much negative
1: about it. Well, as you know, I mean, negative is much more newsworthy than positive. Right. And there are flaws in the law. It was hastily. Uh, written, and I can tell you that there are things in the law that, you know, like for example, one of the one of the misinformation. There's more misinformation, first of all, out there than correct information because everybody's sort of been intimidated by the length of the law that they didn't bother to read it. But actually, the intent, the under 65, the part that affects the majority of the under 65 population, is under a thousand pages worth of legalese, and that's with two inch margins on each side and double spaced. So if you and I were to sit down and read it, it'd actually be a long book. Now, mind you, it's written in legalese, mm-hmm. um, so it's very difficult for the layperson to understand. But what, what this law is is a consumer protection law. Now, somebody, it's really designed for the population who is who earns greater than being eligible for Medicaid, which is the federal poverty level, which is about $1,000 a month or $12,000 a year. So people who make more than $12,000 a year – but less than thirty or forty thousand dollars a year, who are often going uninsured because they simply don't have the cash flow to cover the you know to to cover the cost of the health insurance premiums
0: right,
1: so it was really designed with that target audience in mind to help them offset the cost of the health insurance in many ways, mirroring what an employer does for their employees, right the employer underwrites a percentage of the premium, and the employee contributes a percentage and that concept is called cost sharing. So, it's a it's actually sort of designed to mirror a cost sharing structure that you might see in a private business environment. The reason you get all the negative is because somebody has to finance the government's cost sharing percentage, right? It's not the employer. So somebody, where is that money going to come from? Yeah. And you know, budgets congressional budgets i mean i i am by no means qualified to be to make any comments on any of that um there are a lot of taxes that are built into the law to to create the the subsidy um money and uh and so there are you know where is that money going to come from i mean that's right. an excellent question right we're overdrawn at the bank how are we going to finance this
0: yeah
1: so there there are taxes that are being placed on very profitable parts of the healthcare industry. And those very profitable parts, the device companies, some of the pharmaceutical companies, they have a lot of money in their PAC funds, right, to go out and they have really good marketing departments and really good PR departments. So they have a lot of money to put their special interests forth into the public domain. But when I go out, I go out and talk not on behalf of a pharmaceutical company, not on behalf of a device company, and not on behalf of the federal government. I'm just a law-abiding citizen. I don't write laws. I do my best to follow the rules. And my goal is to say to people, you know, here's the law as it currently stands. Whether you like it or don't like it, here's the law as it currently stands. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I try to... obey the law. I try to drive the speed limit most of the time. I try not to do things that I know are illegal. Um, And so I'm going to make the best of it. And that's sort of my perspective. Let's make the best of it. And for you and me, if we take off our worrying about the profitability of pharmaceutical companies or worrying about the government's budgeting office, if we take that hat off and we just worry about ourselves, budgeting for your personal family your household budget there is a ton of great stuff in here for me and it's not my job to figure out who pays for it it's my job to show people how to take advantage of it
0: great yeah okay
1: so what so so this
0: it's really designed for people basically that make you know between 12 and 30,000 a year so Well,
1: it depends on, here's the thing, it's a variable. So first thing, when you hear on the news that somebody used to pay, you know, $100 a month, and now their price tag is $600 a month, you've only been given one piece of the actual retail price. So I call this insurance game, The Price is Right, because in my house, there's one salary. It's me, but there are four people living off of one salary, because I have, So the retail price of my insurance policy in New Jersey might be $900. That's the retail price. But there are four of us living off of my household income, so the the number four becomes a variable that's included in the actual my personal out-of-pocket cost, the check that I write to the insurance company each month. Mm -hmm. Plus how much money are the four of us living on is another variable. So it's if you were to do a three-section vector with an X, Axis for how much money you earn, a Y axis for how many people are in the house, and then and it's a decreasing. You pay less, thirty thousand dollars per person, right? So there are four of us living on my income, so I would get a subsidy because overall I earn less than one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and there's four of us living on that. Actually, I earn about seventy thousand, so my premium based on the number of people, based on my age, that's the uh, last vector age, how many people living on the income and how much income do you have? You get a number. So it doesn't matter what the retail price is. I mean, the the published price is just the first piece of information. You need to know how old that person is, how much money they earn and how many people are living on that income. Right. So my premium actually is subsidized about $750 a month and it went from $900 down to about 287. So I get a significant subsidy. The government is basically mirroring what an employer would do. I write a check to the insurance company for $287. The federal government writes the check. I have no idea how they're paying for it, but that's not really my job. My job is not to figure out how to run the federal government. My job is to figure out how to run my household. And I feel a lot happier writing a check for $287 than I ever felt about writing a check for 900
0: Yeah. So for the average person, just say the man on the street, or for me, or, you, you know, what, how does, no, I honestly don't really know if I have private insurance. So does that mean I'm supposed to stop my private insurance? My private insurance is Obama-friendly, but, uh, or is there a better deal, would I get a better deal with all
1: with this new program? So here's the thing. The government is giving out, I think of it like a student loan process, right? The government is giving you Money towards your health insurance premium if, based on their formula, you qualify. Uh So it's like a student loan. You have to apply. You have to raise your hand and go to the healthcare.gov website, and you have to say, I'm curious, am I eligible for a subsidy? So you fill out the questions, and I do this routinely. I literally sit with my clients, and I go through this website, and I did it again this morning. The premium for this husband and wife who are in their early 60s, not quite eligible for Medicare, with two dependent children in college, went from $1,400, they got a $1,300 subsidy, and their check that they have to write is $71.23. So based on how many people are living in that household Mm -hmm. and how old they were and how many people were living on their income, their check to the insurance company is $71. You have to raise your hand and apply. You have to tell the government, I'm curious. They're not making you buy the health insurance through that site. Mm-hmm. If you don't qualify or you don't want to, you don't have to buy the health insurance through that site. However, if you choose to buy the health insurance through that site, they and they show you, yes, you're eligible for some money, they will chip in to your monthly premiums.
0: So but I always heard that um, the deductible is huge
1: and the, the benefits are less. So I will... I. Okay, so here's the deal. This goes back to our original premise about getting your expectations straight about health insurance. Minimum basic essential coverage is what the government mandates, and they're all the preventative care is free. Okay, so your annual mammogram since 2010 on a commercial policy has had no copay, no deductible. It's not a, you don't pay anything. You bring your baby in for well-baby checkups, all your inoculations, free. No copay, no deductible. Annual checkup, For any adult, no copay, no deductible. In fact, on the healthcare.gov website, there's about 15 pages of what's considered free to anybody who has health insurance. You don't pay a copay or a deductible. So your deductible then is subject to a usage. Now, again, if if you're planning on a, a Fortune 500 company paying for your household expenses, right, they're going to do it one of two ways: They're going to collect money in advance, right, called premium, and pay it back out. They're certainly not giving money away. Or they're going to say, "We'll collect less money, and you're going to have to budget for your predictable household expenses, about five or six hundred dollars a month it could be. But that's your responsibility. That's a deductible. Remember deductibles. health insurance isn't there for things that you are planning on spending. Your car insurance isn't there to pay for your new tires, even though they're really expensive. It's not your homeowner's insurance isn't there to replace your roof when your roof needs replacing, even though it's really expensive. Insurance is for things that you're not planning, not for things that you are planning. And a deductible is either paid in advance – the first five thousand dollars will either be collected in advance as premium, and then you don't have a deductible, or you can pay the deduct you can say, "I will carry that risk because I'm basically healthy and pay a lower premium." But you have to remember, these insurance companies don't have any intention paying for a certain amount of what they consider routine costs. right. So there's, there in, in this program, there's
0: five plans, the bronze, yep. silver, gold, platinum, and yep. under 30. Maybe you could
1: explain to us what those are. Yeah, well, maybe I could.
0: <laughs> maybe. it's a lot, I'm sure.
1: Well, it's An really hour. not. So, um, but the, the thing is, I'm going to get into some heavy math here, so I'm going to try and go over it at about a 30,000-foot level. Okay. Okay, so the bronze plan is equal to what's called 60% actuarial value. The silver is 70%, the gold is 80 and the platinum is 90 Now, let me explain what that means. So let's say, God forbid, someone has an appendicitis, goes in through the emergency room, gets admitted to hospital, has to have surgery, and, you know, all sorts of things happen. And they incur a retail cost. So all the goods and services providers that, that supported this patient through the appendectomy and the surgery and the hospitalization bill out for $100,000. So the first thing the insurance company would do, because remember they hired all those attorneys, is they'd take that $100,000 bill and they'd say, well, that's all very well and good, but we negotiated all these costs years ago and we're actually only going to allow $10,000 worth of costs to be paid. That's based on our contract with you guys. So the most important thing for most people to realize that they sort of, they completely poo-poo is without insurance, you would have been 100% liable for that $90,000. Right. So, having insurance, you just save ninety thousand right. dollars. So now the question comes: there's ten thousand dollars left. What's the cost sharing agreement that you have with your insurance company? So, on the bronze plan in theory, at a sixty percent actuarial value, they would cover about sixty percent of the ten thousand dollars, and you'd be responsible for about forty percent on the silver plan, they would be responsible for of the $10,000, or about $7,000, and you'd be responsible for $3,000. On the gold, it would be an 80-20, and on the platinum, it would be a 90-10. So in theory, that's how the plans are written. Um, Basically, a 90-10, right, because you're only then responsible for $1,000, would not be considered a high-deductible plan. It would be a more traditional copay kind of arrangement, whereas the 60 40 would be considered a higher deductible plan because you're being expected to come up with 4,000, and 4,000 is a significantly larger number than 1,000. Right. And then the under 30 plan is its own special little bucket. Um, basically, they call it catastrophic. The number one reason under 30 year olds go bankrupt is due to unpaid medical bills. So, one of the things you need to realize is that most under 30 year olds, if you look at actuarial tables, are very unlikely to experience um, ongoing disease. They don't probably have high blood pressure. They probably haven't got you know high lipids. So they don't have a lot of maintenance issues. The only claims they're going to make, for the most part, maybe they'll go in for a checkup, but for the most part, the only claims they're going to make as the result of an accident which is truly unpredictable. No one knows if you're going to have an accident. You don't go out this morning and plan to fall down the, you know, fall down a flight of stairs. So, for the most part, they're not going to incur small expenses like filling prescriptions. They're going to incur if they're going to incur an expense, it's going to be a giant expense like going skiing and breaking an arm and a leg and having a concussion. Most under thirty-year-olds don't have a lot of little teeny tiny claims. They only have, they either have no claims, which is why they don't want to have health insurance, or they have giant claims as a result of a bicycle accident or a you know a skiing accident or that sort of thing. So their premiums are adjusted. There's a six thousand three hundred and fifty dollar maximum out of pocket which while most of us would be very unhappy to pay that cost-sharing, um, if you're looking at a $100,000 bill, you have a choice between paying $100,000 and having no insurance or paying 6350 and having some insurance, and you're good. And the thing is, in New Jersey, for example, if you're 25 years old and you have your own health insurance and you make $35,000 a year, your premium will be subsidized if you're self-employed, and your premium will cost you about $150 a month. And honestly, my cell phone bill costs more than one hundred and fifty dollars a month. So, so it's a budgetable yeah. premium,
0: right? Right. So some so basically, if someone is making one hundred thousand and they're you know sixty, they're going to do it by their income proportionally and in their age, their income, right? They're not going to do income
1: it by is no. one of the three variables on that vector. Income. How many people are living on that income, and how old are you? And is there some kind of a
0: you know, a table that people could look at so they could see, like, okay, you know, I'm, you know, sixty, I make a hundred thousand, and it's gonna, co- and I have no dependents, it's gonna cost me, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, you can actually go to healthcare.gov and you can see some of it, but, but every single state, because every single state in the union has its own insurance. Right. There's no way that we can specifically say without filling out the online application. Here's the thing about the online application: you don't have to buy any insurance. Just raise your hand and apply and see if you get the loan. See if they're going to give you any money.
0: Well, you
1: don't have you to know, even I've... buy it if they're going to give you money.
0: Well, you can just a lot of, Yeah, ask. I've had a lot of problems, though, that nobody's scared to even go to that website. Who <laughs> wants to spend three hours.
1: And, and So I signed up this husband and wife in 40 minutes this morning. Okay. Um, I signed up another uh, individual yesterday. I, I know there are problems, but the number one problem that people have is, I'm going to tell you, this is the... Here is a take-home, put it in a box and put asterisks around it. Okay. You have to turn off your pop-up blocker. Half of the stuff that comes up on that website requires a pop-up. And if your pop-up blocker is on, you won't know that this, the website's trying to put something in front of you. You won't see anything. I wish that could get on the major news channels. Wow. Turn off your pop-up blocker. Healthcare.gov will work a lot better for you.
0: Well, that's a good – boy, you ought to tweet that out there. That's a good one. Right? So that's the first thing. You've got
1: to turn off your pop-up blocker. Turn
0: off your pop-up blocker.
1: (laughs) I know, really. It's crazy, but that's one of the first things. The second thing is that there are identity questions that are the kinds of questions that only you can answer about you. Uh they are the kinds of questions like, in 2010, you took out a loan on your car from what site? Well, I had one of those questions, and I actually had to grab my car bill because the the name, none of them looked familiar. And if I had said none of the above, I would have failed my identity portion because I would have gotten my own question about my own personal self wrong.
0: Oh, dear. What if you'd lost your memory?
1: <laughs> so that's the second biggest hurdle is that you've got to make sure you answer those identity. Right. Um, they're going to make sure you're who you say you are by asking these special kinds of questions that are really, really personal to you so personal in fact that you might not even be very intimate with the answers but they have things like you went to which of the following high schools and they'll list three high schools none of the above well you should know which high school you went to right (laughs) right um but there are times like my mortgage i know was recently sold and so when i saw the old company and then I saw none of the above. I was like, oh, right. I didn't know. So you know what? I stuck yeah. with the truest answer. The answer that's true today was none of the above. So, and so that's my advice. If you're not sure, like another person I that have you ever lived at this address? And she said to right. me, my ex-husband lived at that address. I never lived at that address. Then the most correct answer is no.
0: Right. So it's
1: one of those things where you've really got to answer those identification questions correctly because if you screw that part up, the system will not work. And there's
0: no there's not an 800 number you could call to get to the people that don't know how to do
1: computers. You can, and what they're going to tell you is only you can answer these questions about you. Uh-huh. So you've got to Now you can you can um if you get it wrong, yeah you can call them up and have them reset it. <laughs> oh. But these are questions that you're supposed to know about yourself. You lived on this street or you didn't live on this street. You right. went to this high school or you didn't go to this high school. But I will tell you, like the pop-up blocker, getting those questions wrong will stop this whole thing in its tracks. Oh. So it's really important that you answer those questions correctly. And they're the very first set of questions that you get to. And, and so it's,
0: Boy, so but there. Let's say someone wants to apply. Is there a phone number they could talk to a real person? Some they can.
1: There uh, is, computers. and you can always just use that online thing. Um, so on the bottom right-hand side, it says live chat, uh-huh. and a person comes on almost immediately. It'll also say if you need to make if they can't answer your questions, they can say call this number. The phone number is always on the top bar of the website, so you can always just call them and ask questions but it's really one of the reasons the website has had so many problems is because it is intimately connected to the IRS. So here's my third piece of key information. The first is turn off your pop-up blocker. Okay. The second is get your person, you know, get your verification questions correct. And the third key piece of information, this law is administered by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, by CMS, but it's reconciled by the IRS.
0: Reconciled. What do you mean, reconciled by the IRS?
1: So it's administered by the same people that administer Medicare and Medicaid, but the IRS is going to say, well, we loaned you this much money, and we're going to check it against your income, and they're going to you're not going to be able to hide. If the government's paying money, the IRS is the one who's tracking all of this. So the IRS is going – so when you're on the website, if you are self-employed and file quarterly taxes, you might see your income pop up. And that's because now that they've verified who you are, they've verified your identity, Uh they go into last year's tax refund, tax return, and they pull your income, and they pull your employers, and they pull everything that's on you because they verified that you – you just verified you are you, and now – they have all your information, so they're not. You're not just putting information in and, and you know making something up. The IRS is saying, "Well, this is what you said last year. Is that still true? This is what you said last year. Is that still true?" Now, I'll tell you something came up that was kind of weird for me. They said, um, "Do you still work for this company?" I've never worked for that company. Now, I happen to know because I've Googled myself that there are three people in the United States with my exact same name. And I happen to know because I've Googled myself that one of the people with my exact same name works for that company. So I answered the question, no. And then they said, were you released from that company or did you terminate your employment there? And I said, no. And the next question was, have you never been associated with this company? And I said, yes. And they removed that profile from my from my profile. Oh, Okay. This is a very complicated website that goes in and out of the IRS verifying information.
0: Wow. And it's so,
1: trick the questions sound a little tricky. I mean, just the way Well, they're sounds- just very I mean, they're, you know, where does the IRS get their information, right? They get them from whatever you give them. Right. And so then the they get they- it from financial institutions. Right. But it sounds like the way they phrase the questions are tricky. Actually, I I might just not be reciting them very well, because not only the way they answer, they ask the questions, I think, okay, but underneath every single question is a paragraph more clearly delineating what it is they're asking for in that question. Uh So if you don't understand the question as it's written, right underneath it, right in front of you, is a better way of asking the question. It's just a longer way of asking the very same question.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Wow. So, um, so the average person can go to the site. It takes them about four, 40 minutes or an hour, right yeah, it probably take you an hour an hour and um then and then it takes them a while to process it and it gets back to you or they give they regurgitate what you can qualify for
1: or they regurgitate right then and there oh okay you will you will get your subsidy and your analysis right right there. And then you it can, comes up as a letter again if you don't if you haven't released your pop up blocker at that point. If you if you see the words get your results, uh-huh. you should be able to click on the results. It'll be highlighted and underlined, so you know you're supposed to click on it. Your pop up you're now going to request the PDF. It's just written you a PDF. It's just written you a letter, and inside that letter it says you are qualified based on the information you input and the information we've verified from the IRS. I mean, if you think about it, this couple today within 45 minutes, secured a $15,000 interest-free contribution from the IRS in 45 minutes. So the system has to be pretty technical in order for the government to be willing to to do that, make that con- – I mean, you couldn't get a loan for $15,000 from a bank in 45 minutes. Right.
0: And this is not something that people pay back. It's actual.
1: No. So that's where the reconciliation part comes in. Okay. This is the hardest part. If you are self-employed, like I work with a lot of realtors, for example, okay. whose income can vary widely from year to year based on right. how many houses they sell. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions they ask is, in 2012, you reported that you earned $43,000, for example. Mm-hmm. Do you think in 2014 you will earn the same amount, more or less? Mm-hmm. And and this is, it's a crystal ball. I mean, you, to a certain extent, you 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 have to guess. Yeah. And so you I I would I advise that you would say the same or more. Because if you say more, you're going to get less subsidy. But if you do earn more, you won't be penalized. If on the other hand you say less, you'll get more subsidies. So you'll get that nice interest-free loan from the government for several months. However, at the end of the year, when this is reconciled by the i r s and they look at line thirty seven on your ten forty and they see your modified adjusted gross income, and you told them you were going to make thirty five thousand and you made forty five thousand dollars, your subsidy was too great. you owe the i r s some money back
0: okay. uh-huh
1: this is reconciled by the i r s okay well it, this is just a quick question
0: I just thought of what is there a level like if you make 150 or is there a number
1: that if you make over that then they're not going to even talk to you? Yes. Well, they'll you can still buy insurance but they won't give you any subsidy. Okay, so what so it's that? 400% of the federal poverty level, which is about $44,000 for one person, $85,000 for two people, $110,000 for a family. So yes, there is a point it's, and the, the specific number is 400 percent of the federal poverty level, which is about 12 times. Remember, a federal poverty level is $1,000 a month. So, 12 months in a year, it's about $12,000. So, 400 percent of $12,000. That's that's the cutoff. 400 percent of the federal poverty level. So
0: they, that's words, it. They figure earn?
1: if you earn more than that, and actually, statistically. Um, when they look at the people that, are, that um, are asking for help with health insurance or that are going on the website, it's, it's less than 6% of people who earn above 400% of the federal poverty level are the ones who don't currently have health insurance, who are looking for some health insurance and looking for some help.
0: So, okay, let me just get this clear. The people that make over 44 are, are single or married as 85, that means it's not going to help them really to get involved with that.
1: Nope, Correct. no help at all.
0: Got it. Okay, so
1: this is this is targeting. Then. This is target. The law was designed to subsidize to give people who make too much money to qualify for Medicaid, mm-hmm. but don't make enough money to be able to afford health insurance, and they targeted that at. More or less four thousand dollars a month of household income for an individual, and double. You know, so if one person, you have to think. A lot of people think, well, if I buy two policies, do I get a group discount? I don't know. If you buy two airplane tickets, do you get a group discount?
0: Right. No, no deal, <laughs> no deal. Kevin, this is great information. This would be a good time to tell everybody you have a book out and how they can get in contact with you. And you, I guess, you walk
1: people through the, this confusing.
0: Yep, Yep. that's
1: what I do. So um, my book is called Don't Buy That Health Insurance. Become an Educated Healthcare Consumer. And what it will do, the first part of a conversation talking about high deductible plans and how insurance works, it will make you more comfortable with how insurance works and it will set your expectations more realistically in line with what you're being offered. It will make you understand whether or not you like what's being offered. (laughs) It will at least give you the perspective to understand it. So my book is called Don't Buy That Health Insurance, Become an Educated Healthcare Consumer. My website is healthcare, one word, and then there's a dash insurance dash education dot com. So it's healthcare dash insurance dash education dot com. And you can contact me through the website. My phone number is there. My email's is there. There's a contact form at healthcare-insurance-education.com. Great. And
0: I encourage everybody to reach out to Catherine. She really knows what she's talking about and it'll save you a whole lot of problems trying to figure all this out on your own. And for those of you that want to get a hold of me, um at Chris Miller. Um, Ready for pre is my website. I have an article on the three myths of financial planning. You can go there and, and grab that article for free. And if you need to reach out to me, my email is Chris, K-R-I-S, at com. That's dot tcom Let's get back to what you're talking about here. So maybe you could uh, dial us back into maybe something that's really important that I might not have asked you about all this.
1: Well, I think one of the things that um, a lot of people don't take full advantage of that I think matches your audience is high deductible savings accounts.
0: Mm.
1: Now, most of these higher deductible plans, if you're going to save a lot of money, But you're going to be looking at a, you know, let's say a $5,000 deductible or $2,500 deductible. The high deductible savings accounts are administered again by the IRS, right? They fall under the same Section 125 of the IRS regulations. And if you're going to be saving a lot of money, you're currently paying, say, $400 a month and your premium goes down to $100 a month, I would strongly recommend that you take that $300. And put it in a high-deductible savings account. That money can be invested after you've met certain thresholds, just like like your IRA, just like your 401K. It's the same thing. The different high-deductible savings account vehicles have different thresholds, but it can be invested so it can grow tax-free. It rolls over. It never goes away. You can use that money for anything that the IRS recognizes as a tax-deductible medical expense that your health insurance might not. For example, your health insurance might not cover acupuncture. But the IRS does recognize acupuncture as a tax-deductible medical expense. So you can use that money to pay for acupuncture even though your insurance isn't recognizing it as a medical expense. You can use that money to pay for dental and glasses. There's a lot of things you can use that money for. And if you do owe money back at the end of the year, you're gonna want a little pot of money to work from. Right. So this is the first year we're doing this, right? None of us has done this before. This is, I don't know the answers to all the questions because I haven't had all the situations pop up yet. It's like the first year you get married, you know. You really start to understand and become intimate with something once you start living with it for a year. But the one thing I'm strongly encouraging, and you know, Chris, that those high deductible savings accounts, you can't contribute after you're 65, but you can use that money to pay your Medicare supplement premiums. Again, dental—it's all tax-free money that continue to be used. It may continue to be used after you're 65, but it doesn't. Um, but you can't contribute to it after you're 65, and you go on. And you go on Medicare, you can't contribute to it anymore. So that's like the uh, medical savings. account. They used to be called medical savings accounts. So um, flexible spending accounts. Uh are administered and owned by your employer. And high deductible savings accounts are administered by a bank and owned by you. They're just like a checking account. In fact, they have a checking account and they have a debit card attached to them. It's a debit account. You load it up with tax-free dollars and you spend it only on approved pre-tax things like prescriptions and doctor's visits and that sort of thing.
0: And then is there a
1: limit on how much you can put in a year? So yep, because this is the IRS, so yes, there are limits to everything. Yes. Okay. So in 2014, I think the limit is like $3,350 for a single and double that for adult for any headcount greater than one, so $6,700. In 2014, that number got bumped up. I can't remember if it went up by $50 or so per for a single. So then we'd go up to 3,400 and $3, or 6,800, something like that. It's very. If you just Google high deductible savings account limits, you'll find what the limits are for 2014.
0: Right.
1: So um, because these are pre-tax dollars, mm-hmm. because they are they don't affect your modified adjusted gross income. They are like 401k contributions. Um, but the difference is you can draw them down any time this year as long as you have a high deductible. You can only contribute to them when you have a high deductible savings account qualified plan. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of that deductible. And, in fact, in my book, Don't Buy That Health Insurance, I really walk you through understanding high deductible savings accounts themselves as well as high deductible health insurance plans so you can feel more comfortable with understanding how they work and and it's really, but not funding that savings account is going to make you hate your health insurance plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Funding that savings account will make you love your health insurance plan. There is as much psychology to buying insurance as there is finance to buying insurance
0: right right so that so this you think is a, this you have in conjunction with your health insurance to offset the costs and the favorite. My favorite places are the tax-free equity index annuities and places where you never lose your principal and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not at risk and you can make good interest. The question is, though, are you allowed to touch this money before you're 59 and a half?
1: Absolutely. You can use it next year. You can put it in on Monday and draw it down on Wednesday. As long as you're drawing it down for a medical expense for an irs approved medical expense like a prescription or chiropractic or acupuncture or dental or vision so are banks the
0: only um, financial institutions that handle this or you could go
1: to um,
0: anybody that handles money that does this
1: so that's a really good question. I recommend going with a bank primarily because um if banks tend to be more stringent in their adherence to, you know, regulations. If you were to just Google high-deductible savings accounts, Uh I'm sure you'd find lots of high-deductible savings accounts vendors out there. They have to adhere to certain federal laws and regulations in order to administer these accounts, um, and they charge a fee every month. The fee is usually because it's a checking account. Basically, this is a tax-free checking account. So it shouldn't be more than $3 or $3.50 per month to administer this account. And one of the reasons now, like, for example, the bank I bank with, once I have $2,000 in it, I can actually invest it in Fidelity funds, for example. So that money can be growing in a tax-free environment when I'm not using it. So you could you could start it in the bank, but then you
0: could invest it wherever you
1: want. It stays at the bank, and it's invested through their whatever, Fidelity something or another.
0: Okay, so you have to use their products through the
1: bank. Yep, yep, it. yep, yep, yep. It has to be used their products at their bank.
0: Okay.
1: But... The threshold is $2,000, once I have $2,000. Some of the other online facilities that might charge a lesser $3 a month fee, maybe they don't charge anything, but they don't tell you that they can invest their money. So they're investing your money maybe in bonds and very secure investments, but they're actually earning interest off of your money. Right. So you can earn interest off of your money. So don't don't be fooled by, you know, $3 a month times 12 months is $36. Don't give up $36 worth of expenses, and put six thousand dollars in an investment, and then not invest it. Right,
0: right. All because
1: you wanted to avoid thirty-six dollars worth of charges. <laughs> right,
0: right. Um, boy, there's a lot of things to cover. You've given some great tips to turn off your pop-up blocker when you go to the healthcare.gov and and get your cor- questions correct. And and you know that the IRS is
1: the one that's you know
0: reconciling everything.
1: Yeah, here's another key thing you're going to look for next year. Do you know how in, at the end of January and sometime in February we get those those uh, 1099s that right. say how much money we earned? Yes. You're going to get one called a 1099-I in January or February of 2015. Everybody who has health insurance will get a 1099-I from their carrier that will be part of your IRS application when you file your taxes, and you will have to say who you were with, and there will right. be boxes that say how much money did you pay for your premium, how much money did the com- – int- you know, maybe the government paid some of the premium. Um, but you're going to get a 1099 from your insurance company, and the IRS, uh, you know, your your reconciliation is going to be – however they lay out the 1040, it's going to be adjusted to, to capture this data.
0: Right. Right. So then they know who's got what.
1: And if you don't buy health insurance, you will pay a penalty of 1% of your modified adjusted gross income. So if you earn $50,000 and you didn't buy health insurance, your penalty in 2014 is $500 non tax free, but after-tax dollars. In 2016, the penalty goes up to 1.5%, goes up to 2% in 2017. 2018, I think it goes up to 2.5% of your modified adjusted gross income. So I like to think of this as a speeding ticket. Mm-hmm. You do The government can't force you to buy health insurance, and they can't force you to drive the speed limit. But if you get caught driving faster than the speed limit, you have to pay a fine. You have to pay a fee or a penalty.
0: Right.
1: If you can't be forced to buy health insurance, but if you get caught, which you will when you file your taxes, you have to pay a fee or a fine or a penalty.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a little bit of time left here. Maybe you could give us some cherry on, you've given so many great tips here, but if you want to leave everybody with some final things that are so important they need to know, that maybe I've missed asking you.
1: You know what, we could talk for hours about this. The most important thing, and what I highlight in my book, Don't Buy That Health Insurance, you've got to get your paradigm set up correctly about what it is you're buying insurance to do. You've got to – I mean, most of us don't even understand why we buy health insurance. We don't appreciate it. We don't necessarily value it because somebody else honestly has always paid for it for us. Like if your employer has always covered the cost, a lot of us don't even value it or appreciate it. And it's really important that you set the paradigm up correctly and get your expectations of what insurance is there for, and you become an educated consumer. You understand that if I choose not to have this health insurance – or if I choose to make, you know, every every action has an equal and opposite reaction. If I choose not to, uh, you know, do this, this is my risk. This is what I am basically obligating myself to. And you've got to really think about that paradigm. What am I buying this for? What are my expectations? And what are my unrealistic expectations that I need to just give up? Because they're not there. The world changed. You're not getting anything for free. Companies don't give money away. So, I mean, you can be as angry about it as you want for as long as you want, but it's really unhealthy. <laughs> it's going kind of like eat away at you. And you've got to just sort of shift your paradigm to understand what it is you're buying and why you're buying it. You're buying insurance to protect your household and your family against losing all of your savings. So. That would be the one thing that I think is really important. People need to understand yeah. why they're buying health insurance.
0: That is such a great point. You know, people you know, are fighting it instead of like, okay, learn about it, then you can make the right decision with what's there because it's, that's what's happening. That's, and, and so having the right mindset on how to do it and why you're doing it, that's, that's great. Wow. Well, well, this has really, really been informed. I've really learned a lot here. That's just well, I'm glad. Thank
1: you. Tell them again how to get in touch with you. Sure. It's healthcare-insurance-education.com, and my contact information is on the website. The book is called Don't Buy That Health Insurance, um, and it's available at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. It's an ebook. You can order it through my website, Um, You know, there's lots of different ways to get it. And it's super important that, um, I I promise you, the feedback I get is after people have read this book, they're like that V8 commercial, ah, now I get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, after talking to you, that's just how I feel. I had no idea really if I was, what was going on. Am I supposed to do something here? You know, I'm just hearing little rumors. And then the fee, they're telling everybody on the, you know, the major media, Oh, it's only a hundred dollars if you don't sign up. Not one percent of your gross domestic, you know, your.
1: So it's ninety-five dollars or one percent, whichever is greater. So the only person who's going to pay a ninety-five dollar fee is somebody who's just outside of the poverty level. And poverty level is a thousand dollars a month. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. So again, whenever I use the when I hear when I hear that kind of misinformation, I use that as a as a guide to disregard the rest of the content in that news article, because if they got that wrong, they don't understand what they're talking about. They're probably not a good venue for me to be taking my advice from that venue.
0: Right. Very
1: good point. And so is there? do you know what the percentage of people are that are in the poverty level in the country right now? Well, it's interesting that you ask that, because um, I I don't know exactly. There's like 266 million uh, under 65-year-olds in the United States they estimate that 54% of the population gets their insurance through their employer. Um, they estimate that 24% of the population is already on Medicaid. And they estimate that of the 24 million people who are currently estimated to be uninsured, half of this audience was expected to go into what's called expanded Medicaid, which means they make a little bit more than $1,000 a month. They make $1,200 a month. Uh They fully expect 12 million people to be eligible for the expanded Medicaid program. And when you hear on the news that the the people who are enrolling are all enrolling in expanded Medicaid, Uh well, A, Medicaid's been around since the 1960s, right? All the way with LBJ, he set up Medicaid. So the system works. You can enroll in it. (laughs) Of course it's working and people are getting into it. They didn't have a two-month delay. It's been there for 40 years. So, And they fully expected 50% of the 26 million uninsured to go into the expanded Medicaid program. So um, I don't know exactly what the numbers are. There's a lot of people in this country who earn $15,000 a year or less, and they're probably people that you and I rely on for a lot of our services around our homes.
0: Right. So, wow. So the people that are, um, the people, let's say, that are on Medicaid, are they going to be automatically grandfathered into that?
1: They stay in med. If you're on Medicaid, you stay in Medicaid so it's not, it's not it doesn't touch you. This is really for the people who don't have who haven't been able to work their way through the system, who haven't been able to find insurance they can afford or haven't been eligible for Medicaid. It's really for 26 million Americans who didn't fit neatly into any bucket. Their employers didn't give them insurance, they made too much money for Medicaid, they didn't make enough money actually to make ends meet, so they couldn't afford health insurance. It's kind of for the people who are stuck. Right. Like I said, this is a consumer protection law. I'm not in charge of figuring out how to pay for it. Right. I'm just sharing with you who gets to benefit from it. So you're just giving great information that's
0: unbiased. It's what's exactly happening without any sugar this way or that way. That's, that's awesome. And You know, Catherine, that's the same thing I try to do in sharing what I'm doing about the safe money and where to put your money and never lose a dime. And, and just give the information so people can make an educated decision. And and I really encourage everybody to to get her book. Don't buy that health insurance. Become an educated healthcare consumer, and that's that's what we want to empower people to take control of their healthcare. And that's the same thing that I want to do with the financials—to take control of your financial matters. Mm -hmm. So, again, you can reach out to to Catherine and um, be able to get her book, and that. That will be at healthcare-insurance-education.com. And if you want to reach out to me again, I'm Chris Miller, the host of this show, Ready, Set, Retire. And you can reach out to me at readyforpretirement.com. That's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. Really, really want to thank you, Catherine, all the way from New Jersey over there for this great call today and all this great information.
1: Oh, listen, I'm happy to take a break from shoveling. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it is snowing yet again. Yet again. So I do get to go out and shovel yet again. (laughs) At least you're getting your exercise. Hey, you know what? I put that into my little heart monitor bracelet as as a total workout. (laughs) Total. I mean, you really must get your cardio up there with all that. I we do this know. week. Oh, my gosh, it's the third time it snowed in less than three days, four days. I can't Crazy. take it. The kids, thank God, finally went to school. I was going to think we were all going to turn into homeschoolers. Oh, no. Like <laughs> you need that to do? No, no, no. <laughs> no,
0: enough is enough. Well, this has really been great, and I really appreciate it. And um, you stay warm, and, and we'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Chris. All right. Have a great day.
2: You too. All right. Bye bye. Found out you can't take a curve at eighty-five. My whole life flashed before my eyes i brace myself to leave this world behind as a million questions raised across my mind did i live did i love did i matter to someone did i give everything i had to give did i save any souls Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did did, did I matter? From that moment I became a brand new me. With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day When I'd have to search inside of me and say
1: Did I live?
2: Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I say any souls. Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope and laughter? Did I matter? Did, did, Did I matter? I hope I can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well. Cause when the curtain falls There ain't no second chances And you don't wanna ask yourself Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save?